Hi, everyone. Back at you with another episode of ESEC Lending Insights, where we keep it unscripted, real, and interesting. Unscripted, Peter? I would say that's definitely true, but interesting. Why don't we let our listeners decide on that one? What we are here to do, folks, is share with you our thoughts and perspectives on the securities lending industry, whether that be about demand trends or just what's going on in the industry. And now over to our episode. Let's go. How's it going, guys? Good to be back together. February, snow in Vermont. I feel life is good. And so, Jim, I know we had some topics on the radar today. So tell us about IPOs and IPO lockups and how that affects kind of the SEC lending market in a positive way for our clients. Yeah. Some of the specials that we're trading today were issued end of last year and have lockups at varying points in 2022. We just went through a lockup for Lucid, Toast, Sweetgreen, and NU. NU is one that we have quite a few clients in, so it's topical, but it's a supply issue versus either reasonable or increasing demand. And so many times the insiders are locked up for six months. In all those four examples I just gave you, it was six-month lockup. So there isn't enough supply generally to meet the demand in the market. Or I guess it's better said, when there is insufficient supply to meet the demand, we see this phenomenon of stocks trading more and more special into lockup. And so Let's use NU Holdings, which is ticker NU in the US, which was issued in early December. So early June is the lockup expiration. Three weeks ago, it was trading around a one and a half fee. And we saw fully utilized just about every piece of stock out, but not really frothy. Nobody clamoring to get it. This morning, it traded at a 20 fee. And so shorts are coming in, needing more supply to borrow. There isn't any. The majority of the stock for NU, more than 50% of it is locked up with insiders. And so due to that phenomenon and shorts coming on, if you think about it, if you put a short on now and you hold it until May, but you lose your borrow in May, you're really betting that that trigger point is the additional supply, which will precipitate a downward push on the stock price. And so if you end up having to cover right before that, because you can't keep your short, you miss the pot of gold at the end. And so what we'll see is pricing power for us leading into it. So this NU happened a lot quicker than I thought. I didn't expect to see elevated rates until later in the cycle. So unless shorts cover in the next month or two, I would expect that NU to trade special right through that expiration date. Then once you get to that expiration, all the insider shares are then, in theory, available to borrow in the market or at least available to trade. They're able to trade their securities. They could sell them into the market, downward pressure, new supply if institutional money buys those securities. We watch those very closely. I think many do on the street. And it's not any different than a trigger point that might be a dividend for yield enhancement trade or corporate action event or a tender expiration. All those are kind of trigger points. We just put IPO lockup expiration as one of those trigger points. And we had a lot of issuance last year. And so many of those names that have been well shorted will continue to be even better sec lending returners as they head into that lockup expiry. So that's kind of the general gist of it. There's other trades, I think, that happen around lockup expiration, all feeding that pricing power that we have. So all in our favor in terms of different trades that would require borrows for a period of time. Do they usually go to GC after the new supply hits the market or is it all depending on the situation? Could stay very special, slightly special? Yeah, many times they'll drop toward GC or easy borrows right away. And then 
as the market figures out whether new shorts are coming in or not, they either stabilize at that warm or GC level or it pops back up. In the case of Lucid, it came down, never reached GC levels, but came down to warmish levels and then shot right back up as new shorts came in. You know, you could see it, a lot of this is in theory, but if you can conceptualize, you hit that expiration point and all the insiders don't like where the stock price is, they may just hold on to their stock and it may never get to the market. And therefore the sec lending revenue and the fees shoot back up. So it can go either way, but many times you trade like it's going away after that way you're incented to get as much as you can leading into it. And then everything else is gravy. So Jim, 2021 had a bunch of IPOs, as you know, there was a lot of new issuance. What do you feel like the sort of percentage, like if you were to guesstimate, because I know you probably don't actually have any data to this, but what percentage of IPOs would you see trading special through this lockup period? Is it a pretty small percent? Like, I mean, you listed off only a handful of companies, but how regular do you feel like this is with new IPOs? It's a good question. I've never done the analysis. I would say five or 10 of the IPOs. So it's a small amount. It's meaningful enough where I would call it recurring revenue. So it's not one off like some big trade that you've done and you can't foresee repeating that trade. This is a phenomenon that has happened year after year after year. So it is a small percent of issuance, but for sure something that I think is repeatable and probably will be throughout 2022 as we expire all those lockups from the IPOs in the second half of 2021. Our client base, at least, are institutional investors, not as much on the retail side. And obviously, IPOs tend to be really big in the retail space. But how broad-based would our client base have across a lot of these names in terms of ownership such that they can participate in these trades? And do you see that changing during the lockup period, I guess? Because you sometimes see institutions choosing not to buy in right at the outset, but then they buy in in those early few months? What would you say about supply? So I can tell you what we see from behavior standpoint. It feels like many of these, if you can imagine, they come, they're not in an index. And so if you have an index tracker, that immediately eliminates buying these on the IPO. But as that stock matures and gets past expiration and maybe has secondaries and grows, they become stocks targeting for the Russell 3 or adding into different indices. And that's when our index trackers will add it. But for sure, many of the 40 acts out there have offerings that do buy IPOs. And so I think you can see it's the haves and the have-nots in terms of who owns it. But sometimes you'll find the large institutional owners who track indices, but get allocations of IPOs and trade them, take them in-house, hold them for a week, a month, an hour, whatever they want to do, in which case we can capture some of that revenue too, the longer they hold it. But yeah, it's a mix. It is, like you noted, it's very much a retail product. So there's plenty of supply out there, but it's in many cases coming from somebody other than pensions or sovereign wealth. It's coming more from retail and perhaps asset managers like 40X. Jim, what about when the supply hits the market after the lockup? That's usually going to be management of the company, right? Or VC firms that were initial backers. And that stock is going to sit where? It's going to sit in kind of retail broker boxes, isn't it? With high net worth Uh asset custody? Good question. Unfortunately, I haven't been an insider of a company that's gone public and been allocated shares that I couldn't trade. So I don't know from firsthand, but I think what we as a market expect is that stock to trade into the market. So for those who get issued that and are locked up, once they're not locked up, they sell. And when they sell, it hits the street. The buyers are the natural buyers down in New York and 
that's when we'll see the supplies. We're not expecting supply from insiders to hit the street. We're expecting gotcha. sell. That's a helpful point. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. When we look at IPOs, it's tricky to determine what the true float is. So when you're looking at a stock and you're trying to price it correctly, you want to know how much of the total lendable float is out there available to borrow, how much is already borrowed, how much you are of that denominator. And many times the tradable float is different than the amount of shares issued because of the lockup. And so it's, it's not a very clean, findable number. You have to dig deep and take a good look at who owns what and who's reported what to really come up with a lendable or a tradable float as opposed to just straight shares outstanding and short interest. So it can be deceiving. So it does take a little bit extra work. So we, ESEC, dedicate one guy to focus on that and provide data for us, which I think is the best way to go about it. Okay, cool. Well, and what about the macro picture, Jim? I know you. there's definitely been a sense, we always joke about your optimism or pessimism, but I know there's definitely an undercurrent of optimism right now with balances at least. Maybe give us a little sense of that. Yeah, balances have certainly gone up in the last two weeks. January was sideways to down, but decided difference across the board. It's not just one, two or three borrowers or US versus UK. It's for the most part, all borrowers we're seeing balances are going up. And so I think there are more shorts. We've been told there's more shorts and that's great. But I think there's more at play here. And bear with me as I walk through this. And this is just me hypothecating or pulling together conversations that I've had with different brokers. Leverage is without question down is what I've heard from most people. So if leverage is down, if you're a hedge fund, leverage is you asking for cash from your prime and providing collateral on the backside. So many times that's a two for one. I borrow cash from prime A. Prime A requires I borrow a billion in cash. He wants $2 billion in equities. They can then take those $2 billion in equities and rehypothecate them to cover shorts that they have with somebody else. So when leverage has come down, and it's fair to assume that leverage has been deployed long for the last five years, leverage long. So that's out of the market. So now hedge funds have less leverage. Brokers have a smaller box to rehypothecate because they don't have as much collateral against the cash out. Cash has come back. They've given back those longs. So therefore, they've got to find a borrow somewhere else. So they have to come to us and they're borrowing versus cash for the same reason. They don't have equities to give us as collateral because leverage has come down. So I think that trigger of leverage, it's been lost on me up until this year. I think over the last number of cycles over the last decade, I've seen this happen and I've never thought about it in terms of cash leverage and cash leverage has collateral against it. And that collateral is usable securities for prime to cover other shorts. And so... All that said, I think leverage is down and shorts are up. So that combination of lower leverage and increased shorts has resulted in this spike in balances. I hope it's here to stay, but nobody's saying, yep, yeah, no, this is great. We turned a corner. I think we're getting there, but it just could be a blip. I think we have to wait and see. And is but, it, you saying it's mostly versus cash or yeah. are you seeing the same increased balance in our non-cash book? We're seeing activity and turnover in the non-cash book, but the increase has really come in the cash loans. Because um, the reason for what you're saying has been a little bit of the increase for the cash loans. Would that also sort of flow through to certain borrowers maybe preferring at the moment to pledge more cash for loans than equities as collateral? A, they still prefer equities. It's out of necessity that they're borrowing cash. They don't have the equities. Right, right. So it's more expensive for them to borrow cash still. So that preference hasn't changed. That's why I'm a little hesitant to say we've turned this corner because I still think it's getting increasingly expensive for the primes. If they can pass that along to the hedge funds over longer periods, then maybe it happens. Or if leverage is redeployed, 
and a longs come back into the box, then we might see these cash loans shift over to non-cash. But I don't know if I artfully dodged your question or answered it. Sorry, bro. What's the magnitude of this increase, Jim? Like in some of our big cash programs that have decent guidelines and good portfolios, are we up 10% over the last few weeks? Like what's the magnitude? Yeah, 10 to 20%. Okay. Yeah, being in the February is just a broad stroke. That it really hold obviously in, in your mandate, but in many cases we've seen ten to twenty percent increase in cash balances. And it's not just us and the metrics we look at at all the aggregators, whether it's data lender, market, or lending pit. And it looks like the entire market is trending higher from utilization, specifically utilization versus cash going higher. We just have a steeper slope at the moment. And is that true for equities as well as credit product like corporate bonds? <laughs> Yes, it's more pronounced versus equity loans out. And we've had good activity all 20 of 22 versus credit, specifically the high yield space and EM space, but I would say both. Do you want to make a prediction on whether it's too soon to know whether some of these factors will play into bidding activity for a look forward 12 month exclusive and whether there's some positive signs in terms of increased demand or not, Jim? I'm not going to predict because it is a straight up guess, but I would have to think as borrowers think through this activity, it's certainly a better sign that they're going to have the need for borrows going forward. So I think it'll be a positive. We're right there where auctions start tomorrow. So for our spring auction season really kicks off tomorrow. The next couple of podcasts probably can answer that better, but I can't see how it doesn't translate into either better participation, better bids or a combination. Those are good comments, Jim. And optimistic tone is something I think everyone listening would probably appreciate. Our strategy going forward is to grab a couple of topics instead of just go completely freeform. So those were the two topics for today, IPO lockups and kind of the macro picture with increasing balances. You know, another theme to mention, and Brooke will thank me for this, is that we're hiring. ESEC Lending is hiring. So go to our website, go to the career section there are a bunch of roles open. And if you're looking for new opportunities, we want to grow our team and get the right people in here. So just to put a little waving of the flag for that one. It's also interesting that we're doing a podcast on Valentine's Day. So I'm going to throw this out to you guys to get your take on this holiday and how it factors into your world. I'll go last. All right. Does that mean Jim goes first? Mm, how does it factor in? It's a really good question, Peter. I still have to go get flowers and a card this afternoon. So I guess that means it doesn't really factor in for me. But, but you're doing something. So, you know, because the alternative would be is that you ignore it altogether. Yes. No, I am not ignoring it. I think that would be treacherous and harmful. I will do the standard, but not much more, which is bah humbug for Valentine's Day. So Valentine's Day for me these years tends to be incredibly kid focused, whether that be getting Valentines for my children or helping them make their Valentines for their friends and classmates. And I'm also room parent for one of my children's classrooms, which means that I get to spend lots of extra time that I, of course, have in my life to put together, you know, little projects and goodie bags and organized parties and other things for the class. So I guess that's what Valentine's Day has become for me. So my take is it's really a Hallmark holiday. I've never been a huge fan of it. I like to show people I care about them on regular days during the year. Oh, good. Of- All the 364 other days that you exactly. do something nice for people, Peter? That's my philosophy. I'm not sure it's working so well for the people that I supposedly care about, but we'll see. I did send a gift to my daughter in college. 
So that's, that's, kind nice. of my, that's kind of my one gesture. Yeah, good. All right. Well, I'm not sure we'll be on a holiday next time, but thanks for tuning in again. And if you ever have any feedback or thoughts on topics, we'd love to hear it. Have a great day. All right. Day. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks. See you, everybody. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope we left you with something interesting and productive to utilize in your daily securities lending activities. And friends, don't forget to subscribe to ESEC Lending Insights wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal tax or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based upon such information. Thank you for listening.